It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian is taking a rare day off. As you know, Brian is one of the hardest, absolute hardest working and most important voices in America in both radio, television, and yes, also in print with numerous bestsellers. My name is Harry Hurley from Town Square Media's WPG, that's World Playground, Talk Radio 95.5. Yes, a Brian Kilmeade affiliate. We're very proud. One of the first, I think. 29 years ago, I left the direct employee of President Donald Trump who hired me had a great few years with the president, but had a burning desire to become a part of the spoken word format. And I left President Trump's employee 29 years ago, and we've been doing this ever since. My thanks to Brian for his trust and that of his great team, senior producer Allison and Eric and Pete. We have a great program in store for you today, a lot of important content, guests, and of course, your phone calls on the Brian Kilmeade program. Let me also say Congratulations to Brian Kilmeade for landing the number five ranking in the Talkers Magazine Heavy 100. This is the list that comes out every year of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. And Brian keeps climbing up higher and higher on the list each and every year. He has moved up and there aren't many spots ahead of Brian. Truly one of the great voices in America today. Let me open with a quick comment about an icon. And we can agree or we could disagree with the late, great Congressman John Lewis's politics. But I believe one thing that all 330 million plus Americans should agree on, and that is that he is a civil rights icon. Yes, he was small in stature, but he was a giant, as big as they come in terms of civil rights. And I joined the chorus of people who call for, and I don't often say this kind of thing, because things that are named something, I mean, if, just let it be for the most part. It was named that for some reason. And if it's gone on for decades and decades, what's the need to change the name? I think the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and Congressman Lewis's beatdown that he took on what was referred to as Bloody Sunday, I believe that bridge should be renamed the John Lewis Bridge, and it would give me great pride and joy And I believe this is one of those when we see this happen, not if we see this happen. So, look, do I agree with all of the late, great Congressman Lewis's politics? Absolutely not. Do I agree that he did not agree with that he did not attend former President number 43, George W. Bush or President Trump's inaugurations? I don't agree with that. We have one president at a time, and I think we should celebrate the office and should not personalize it into something where you go out of your way not only not to attend, but also uh, to make a public issue of the fact that you're not attending. Some of the issues that we'll be covering this hour on The Brian Kilmeade Show include former Vice President Joe Biden and this uh, big, big controversy of the moment. And if you take the English language and say is redirecting the same as defunding, then you might have one answer. If you believe that there is a distinction with a difference, that redirecting 
is different than defunding, you could come up with a different answer. For me, I believe that redirecting is analogous to defunding if you take money from a police department or for that matter, let's because the police are just they were once in vogue to be called heroes. They're now in vogue to be trashed, to be pelted with things, to have ball bearings thrown at them, paint thrown at them, rocks, you name it. Uh, that's now. It wasn't that long ago that we were celebrate celebrating them at Yankee Stadium and stadiums all over America as the great heroes that I believe that they are. Allison knows this. Uh, so does Eric. So does Pete. I'm an identical twin brother of a retired police officer. However, I am still intellectually honest when it comes to this topic. I came out second one and said that there was a murder in Seattle. I didn't wait. I didn't need to see what happened first, what happened after. I saw what happened, and I called it what it was, and America processed that a murder of Mr. Floyd had taken place. So I call it, I'm a former umpire, I'm a former basketball referee. I call balls and strikes. I call them as I see them. I think redirecting is a distinction without a difference, the same as defunding. Because if you take funds from the police department, for example, some very interesting uh, folks approached New York Mayor de Blasio and said, we want you to cut $1 billion from the New York Police Department. And guess what? He did it. And I knew it was going to happen, and I said in advance that it was going to happen. Once he did it, and I knew he would do it, he would, that, then the same people that said, please cut a billion, would say it's not enough, and it's what they did. Now, I know the listeners of the Brian Kilmeade Show all over this great country, the greatest country in the history of the world, I know that you know the difference. And you know that if you take a billion dollars from a police department, you haven't redirected it. You have defunded that police department. You just have to you just have to just be honest about it and then fight some other point that's in dispute. Joining us now is Hogan Gidley, National Press Secretary for Donald J. Trump for President. Hogan, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the time. Good to be with you. I was just uh, talking about, is there a difference between redirecting police funds or defunding the police? Yeah. Take it away. I, I, I heard the comment, um, and I just have to say, you are right on the money. And what's fascinating is to watch the media try and cover for Joe Biden's radical policies. I mean, they're doing it on every front, but this one is just one of the most egregious. When he was asked, uh, can't we just agree we need to redirect some of these funds? He says, yes, absolutely. And now they're lying, uh, not just on the, the radical left, but the mainstream media is saying he said redirect. He didn't say defund. Well, let me ask all the listeners out there to this wonderful show. I'm not going to defund your paycheck. I'm just going to redirect part of the money you get every two weeks into my bank account. Is that okay? No, that's a defunding. You're taking that money away. And police officers need those resources. We know what happens when police officers are told or or mandated to stand down in some of these communities. We've seen it. So you don't have to guess what would happen. You don't have to guess what would happen in our city streets uh, and in our towns and communities with Joe Biden as president. 
because we've seen them devolve into lawlessness. We've seen uh, rioting. We've seen looting. We've seen innocent Americans being beaten within an inch of their own lives just for protecting the businesses they themselves fought so hard to uh, keep up and running during coronavirus. And Joe Biden said nothing except for what you just pointed out. Redirect funds away from the police. We don't need that. Are you crazy? This is the exact time where you need to show safety and security, law enforcement having the tools and the ability to do the job they are uh, doing, protecting our families, making sure our streets are safe. And these people are brave. They are heroic. They are the most uh, incredible men and women I ever got to meet when I was at the White House uh, between law enforcement and the military. I mean, your heart goes out to the sacrifices they make. And for people like Joe Biden to come out and say they don't deserve the money they have, we should redirect it away from them, is, is just absolutely egregious. I believe most Americans will conclude that redirecting is the same as defunding. And if you look at the New York City police issue, when you take money away from that department, when you take that that vaunted plainclothes division that Bernie Carrick could tell you all about and has told us all about on the Brian Kilmeade show uh, and elsewhere around the country, you see an increase in violent crime. You see an increase in shooting. Not long ago, we had a period, as you know, Hogan, where we had something like 18 shootings in, in a relatively short period of time, not, not in one day, in one short period of time. So redirecting, I'm going to always believe for all the days of my life, is the same as defunding. Let me go to more fake news, and that is the numerous media reports this morning that President Trump said that, quote, he will not accept the results of the November 3rd general election. I heard my oh, former man. boss, Hogan, speak on this topic. He did not say that. Did he? No, of course not. The media is playing the same game in 2016, whether it be with polling or whatever, uh, uh, that they're playing today. They're doing the same exact thing. Okay, and the fact is, the president says I have to see and take a look at what what uh, occurred. First, it should be noted the president also made the point that uh, you know the the that Hillary Clinton was the one who did not. Um, you know, abide by the results. She was the one who continues to say she won the election. Um, and that's kind of the MO of the left. We've seen that with Stacey Abrams in Georgia and other places, of course. The president was saying, I was under investigation during the campaign. The federal government uh, weaponized so many uh, tools and tactics against um, Donald Trump for president, spying on the campaign, wiretapping. He was called ridiculous for even insinuating that that was going on, and now we find out it absolutely went on. Uh, we now know the names of the destruction, the, the pages of the world who pushed so many false narratives uh, and, and put insurance policies in place. So it makes a whole lot of sense yep. that after the polls close and after the election's called, you're going to want to take a good, hard look at exactly what happened. And by the way, it was the other side, the Democrats, who filed lawsuits in 17 states following the election to try and get the vote overturned in those 17 states. So spare the nonsense that this man is not going to stand up and accept the results of an election. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show with Hogan Gidley, National Press Secretary for President Trump. And, of course, Hogan Gidley works for the president, so you'd expect him to defend the president, right? And 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 Harry Hurley, that's me filling in for Brian today, that I used to work for President Trump. So, of course, then my objectivity must be skewed. Let's hear directly on this point. Uh, Eric, if you would, cut 19. You don't know until you see. It depends. I think mail-in 
voting is is going to rig the election. I really do. Uh, Are you suggesting that you might not accept the results of the election? I, I have to see. Look, Hillary Clinton asked me the same thing. No, I asked you the same no, no, thing in the debate. But, and you know what? She's the one that never accepted it. I agree. It. She never accepted her loss, and but she it, looks like can a you fool. Give, can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you. I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. So for the record, that was the answer. And every headline that you read and every voice that speaks the words that the president said he will not accept the results, that is invention. It is not truth. Now, on this topic, though, that the president, Hogan, just talked about vote by mail, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of as many people voting as possible. We don't want to deny anybody the right to vote. That nonsense that Republicans get hit with, that they they're voter suppressionists and all that crazy stuff. I want everybody to vote. But this vote by mail, and I can tell you from my state of New Jersey, Hogan, it is crazy what's going on in just a primary election with almost no contested races. They can't count the votes. They don't know what's up, what's down. The machines are messing up. It's, it's a nightmare. I can't even imagine if key battleground states in particular are going to use vote by mail. Then they want to get us ready, Hogan, that we may have to wait two weeks or four weeks for the result of the presidential election. That's unacceptable. Your thoughts about all of this, Hogan? You're absolutely right. And look, Democrats, again, I love using the phrase, you don't have to guess, because we've already seen this in practice. You don't have to guess what would happen if they controlled the elections and, and their, their policies made it into the mainstream. What happened in Iowa for the Democrat Party? Remember this debacle? They couldn't even run an app for voting in Iowa. Uh, their caucus up there, they couldn't even get that thing worked out. I don't even know if we still know who won the thing. Uh, it took forever to figure that out. So the the the, the ability to perpetrate fraud uh, by mail when you have so many more hands touching a particular ballot, you have no idea, once you mail that thing in, what what happens to it whatsoever. You don't know who's got it. You don't know if it ends up in the hands of the, the proper people at the state level. You don't know if it's chucked in the trash. You just don't know. And so for the Democrats to try and push that um, tells you something. It's because they feel that's the way they can get a, a toehold in trying to rig the, the election, try and change um, the outcome to the one they want. Because let's be clear, in 2016, <laughs> they didn't see that coming, and they're still having a tough time swallowing that bitter pill. Right. They, in, they wanted in, to in accept the results of the election when they thought they knew who was going to win. There was Correct. all bets off once it didn't go that way. Hogan, I know we've got to Correct. go in about 30 seconds. I want to get a quick comment. Nancy Pelosi, third in line to the presidency, the Speaker of the House, is calling wildly violent actors peaceful protesters and instead wants our federal law enforcement officers to be formally investigated. It is bizarro world, isn't it? It is. I've never seen anything like it. And for people like that to just ignore what uh, looting and rioting is and calling it peaceful protest when you know store owners uh, watch their dreams, uh, in many instances, not just destroyed, but go up in smoke because fires were set. This is not peaceful. Uh, these no. are not protests. This is uh, complete and utter lawlessness. And this president is the only one who's going to stand up and get it fixed. Hogan, thanks for the visit. Good to be with you. Take care. Have a great day. Anytime. You yes, too. sir. Thanks for visiting with The Brian Kilmeade Show. Phone lines are now open. It's your turn to play on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. What are your thoughts about what you just heard? 
on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who has earned a well-deserved day off. To your calls we go on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Charlie is listening in on at WLAD in Danbury, Connecticut. And I understand that uh, Charlie and I are about to have a split decision on the late, great Congressman John Lewis. Charlie, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you very much. So let's have a, let's have this split decision. You get to go first. Okay, very good. John Lewis, he was a stone-cold black racist. How do I know that? He belonged to the Black Caucus. Uh, where do we have those members of the White Caucus? He was a member of NAACP, which ends in the words colored people. Where is the NAAWP for white people? Every time I heard that man speak, he, if it was somebody white that wanted something, he was not just against it, he was so quick to call them a racist, no matter what they wanted. He did not go to George Bush. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. <laughs> inauguration why because he was white yeah that's well okay but i'm i'm gonna disagree with that because he did go to inaugurations of he was in for 33 years so he went to many presidents who were white in fact all of them because we've only had one african-american president so i'm gonna reject that but if you if you look at the record i'm not i'm not basing it on votes he's cast that i disagree with i'm not basing it on 
I, I even mentioned that he and, and not only did he not attend George W. Bush's inauguration, he did not attend President Trump's inauguration. And he was very unkind to President Trump. I am basing this on his record as a civil rights icon. It launched him to a 33 year career representing Atlanta and the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, in my estimation, should be renamed after Congressman Lewis. And I believe that it will be. Charlie, thank you for an honest split decision. Appreciate you listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Brian's call-in number. When we come back in just a little bit, we'll be with GOP strategist Brad Blakeman, a Fox News contributor. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with uh, Brian's great team, Allison, Eric, and Pete. My name is Harry Hurley from WPG Talk Radio in Atlantic City, uh, a, Brian, a proud Brian Kilmeade affiliate. So our our team is listening right now as well. And Allison, Eric, and Pete, thanks for uh, making it so easy to uh, fill in today for Brian, who is on a very well-earned day off. Joining us now is a very good friend of mine. He's a former senior assistant, senior advisor, to both President Bushes, Bush 41 and Bush 43, very talented GOP strategist, a longtime Fox News contributor, and and just a real dear friend. Brad Blakeman, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, good to be with you, Harry, and good to be on Brian's show. Great to be with you, and thanks for uh, being with us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's set the stage for the first part of our discussion, Brad. Uh, President Trump, I, I think he gets it exactly correct here. For people out there in the Brian Kilmeade universe wondering who's to blame, we see incredible spikes in violence all over the place. Portland, and we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, Seattle, New York. I mean, the numbers are staggering in terms of violent incidents, shootings, and so on. Let's hear from the president of the United States, Eric Cutwan. There has been a spike in violent crime in America in recent weeks. We've seen deaths up in New York, deaths up in Chicago, shootings. How do you explain it, and what are you going to do about it? I explain it very simply by saying they're Democrat-run cities. They're liberally run. They're stupidly run. We have uh, forced them in Seattle to end the chop because, you know, we were going in that following day. You probably have heard it. We were getting ready to go in. We were all set. And when they heard that we were going, they set their police force. That's uh, Chris Wallace's Stemwinder interview with the president on Fox News Sunday. Brad, your thoughts? The president is absolutely right. Uh, the people elected uh, these, these uh, deficient mayors and city councils, um, incompetent, ne- grossly negligent, um, and they have to uh, live with who they uh, elected. It's not for the president to swoop in. He doesn't have the power to do it. We have a separation of powers in, in America. Our founding fathers gave, gave great deference to state and local governments to run themselves. Uh, we don't live in a federalist society where the federal government is paramount over every aspect of America's life. Uh, quite the contrary. 
uh, whatever federal powers uh, are not given in the Constitution are reserved to the states. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, they're going to have to feel the brunt of the uh, incompetence that they've elected. Um, Now, when it comes to health, safety and welfare of of federal employees, federal office buildings, yes, the president has an obligation to do that. And the president can do uh, within his powers what he can do in order to to try and influence uh, local and state leaders to do the right thing by their people. But at the end of the day, it's up to them. And that's why you've seen flight of people from New York and, and California and, uh, and, and Portland and Seattle to other places. My sister lives in, in Scottsdale, and she's seeing spikes in real estate like you've never seen before for the very reason that people are getting the hell out of Dodge and, and they're going to safer, more secure places. Um, we've seen it before in New York. We've seen it before in L.A. and other parts of California. And uh, look what Rudy Giuliani did uh, to New York. People came back in droves. Um, but when there's lawlessness, when, when taxpayers uh, and, and law-abiding people are scared to death to live and to conduct a business, and the police are nowhere to be seen because they were told to stand down or their precincts have been burnt out, uh, this is the result. So the president's got it exactly right. These are, these are, this isn't happening in the heartland of America, in, in, in uh, rural and suburban areas. These are happening in urban cities that have historically been run for, for generations by Democrats. And the lid has come off and they're unable to govern. Brad, when we saw the Seattle mayor call something that I, I would think Mr. Magoo had perfect vision to see how this was going to go. And she called it peaceful. She called it the summer of love. Chaz turned into chop, murder, mayhem. Uh, Kind of interesting. Everything that supposedly these anarchists are against, they created. They created walls. They created tariffs. uh, They they created a a corrupt uh, police protection state. Of course, they kept the real police out. Just unbelievable. And it didn't take uh, a detective to know that this would cross-populate in other areas, and this will be a good way to um, to have this part of our discussion, Brad. Eric, if you would, let's go to cut six. The president has a complete misunderstanding of cause and effect. What's happening here is we have dozens, if not hundreds, of federal troops descending upon our city, and what they're doing is they are sharply escalating the situation. Their presence here is actually leading to more violence and more vandalism. We haven't asked them here. In fact, we want them to leave. We're all telling the Trump administration, stop the rhetoric, take these people out of our city. They are not helping us, they are hurting us. And what we're seeing is a blatant abuse of police tactics by the federal government, by a Trump administration that's falling in the polls. And this is a direct threat to our democracy. See how political that is, just naked politicization. That's Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, who I think is an absolute disgrace, to to actually act like federal law enforcement personnel are the problem. And they try to pawn this stuff off as peaceful protesters. I'll bring our speaker into this in just a moment. This amazes me to no end. And, of course, he then really the whole point of what he was doing, he he let on at the end where he then brought in the president standing 
in polls? What does that have to do with the violence that for 50 some days, consecutive days, has been happening in Portland? So Brad Blakeman uh, on The Brian Kilmeade Show, please comment on that these elected officials, they're always Democrats. I try not to be partisan, but they're always Democrats. They praise who they refer to as protesters and they trash the police. This is bizarre world. Um, You know, this is an alternative universe. The people see what they're seeing. Um, As a matter of fact, all all you have to do is hear from the people on the ground, the, the, the people who own businesses who are being looted and burned out and intimidated or shut down for protection money. Um, they're not Republicans. They've, I've heard them on television. They said, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and I don't even recognize the, the city that I live in. And, and, and they're forced to board up or close and get out, of, get out of town or stand down until such time as order is restored. This isn't a, a federal problem. This is a state and local problem. This is, this is uh, chickens coming home to roost in democratic areas that have been so badly mismanaged and corrupt for decades, and the lid has finally come off. You can't blame this on the president. This, this is a systemic failure of government uh, run by Democrats, socialist behavior. Um, you know, right is wrong. Uh, th- this, is, this is crazy. It's unacceptable. And I have to believe that at the end of the day, people are going to ask themselves in November, um, in federal elections, uh, do, do I want this to continue? Uh, and do I want law and order or do I want uh, uh, Venezuela? Do I want a complete breakdown in, in norms and, and, in, and in behavior? Um, we want police. We love police. And, and you can't say that a few bad apples ruin the whole bunch. It just isn't so. Everybody knows that. This and is you the- get rid of... You get rid of the bad apples, and but you don't um, you you don't paint entire law enforcement with the behaviors of, of a super minority of people. They're bad in every profession. Yeah, I think that's fair. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Brad Blakeman, a former senior advisor for both President George H. W. Bush and President George W. Bush. Here's my take on this, Brad. President Trump. They're trying to put him into the if you're a Star Trek fan, the Kobayashi Maru, the no-win scenario. For all Star Trek fans, that was your gift on the Brian Kilmeade Show today because you won't hear the Kobayashi Maru probably ever said again. But my point about this is they put him in the no-win scenario, Brad, whereby they say it's his fault that there's all this violence. But when he offers help, they say, get the hell out. So then he's wrong for trying to help. He's responsible for the violence. And you could carry this over to the coronavirus, which is the virus, COVID-19, which is the disease. You could carry it over into that because then they say he's not showing leadership. But every time he tries, they tell him, "Stick, get your nose out of this. We governors have this power, not you. So, hey, listen, I know the job's tough and you work for two presidents. You get it. But it's, it's, it's completely unacceptable that he's absolutely wrong no matter what he does. Yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> I mean, the sad irony is Trump's not going to win California. Trump's no. not going to win New York. No. Trump's not going to win in the areas that are in total disarray. So, I mean, you know. It, 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 hey, Brad, let me comment the, on that uh, point. Brad, remember, it wasn't that long ago 
You see, the way that the news cycles are so rapid anymore, it wasn't that long ago that Governor Cuomo was asking for 20,000 ventilators and the, the U.S. Sure. Navy Comfort, the Javits Center Hospital. I mean, record PPE, record ventilators, record hospital beds. And, of course, they didn't need almost all of it. Instead, they put uh, s- seniors with COVID-19 into senior living facilities, which resulted in the deaths of probably half of those who have died, at least 40-some percent of those who have died from COVID-19. Those decisions alone, when the Northeast governors, uh, for the most part, all stuck together and did exactly what Cuomo did, he delivered the goods. It was the greatest response to a pandemic in the history of the world. Now, it's the worst. He, he went from first to worst. Yeah, and, and, and again, the sad irony is all these places that are in meltdown never voted for Trump, will never vote for Trump. So what does Trump have to lose? Um, you know, And remember, Brad, they, 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 the reporting uh, from these folks was always that the president is only helping those in states that he either will win or yes. can win. And the truth was he spent most of his time on the Democrat states. Exactly. And they were and every and they over they overplayed their hand, as you just said, with Cuomo. Ask, ask, ask. Not based. They wanted the president to say no. That was their strategy. Cuomo asked for a ship, hoping the president would say no so he could beat the crap out of him. And all the president did was say yes to all these Democrats. And, right, and they Brad, were exasperated yes. because the president kept delivering. Brad, you and I both know that so many of these states are already decided. It's three and a half months or whatever we have until November 3rd and the general election. You have most of the blue states are completely locked up. Most of the red states completely locked up. And if we want to call them purple, we'll call the battleground states. And and in my estimation, I believe that the one that wins two out of the three of Florida, Pennsylvania and Ohio is going to be the president. I I can bring it down, I think, to three. But I know there's more than that. There's nine, ten or more states. And and then, you know, always the the chance that there can be a surprise. However, the biggest X factor that not enough people are talking about, Brad, is not if vote by mail is happening in New Jersey because President Trump is not going to win New Jersey. He's not going to win California, as you said. But in states that are in play, the determinative factor could very well be governors that opt to do the vote by mail, make it mostly vote by mail. And then what they typically do is if you qualify under ADA, you can vote if you need hearing or you need assistance. So it's called a mostly vote by mail election. We know in New Jersey, Brad, they're still counting votes uh, two weeks after the election. It's a disaster in a primary. But I believe this vote by mail could determine the whole darn thing. What do you say? It could, and it's unprecedented. Um, you know, Democrats are looking for any edge. Um, you know, they're they're against free and fair elections because why would anybody be against showing a photo ID? How is that racist? How is that voter suppression? It's insane to to think that uh, making sure somebody is, is who they say they are is somehow disenfranchising voters. And Brad, and Brad, if vote by mail is so great, why does it take two weeks or more to count the votes? Of, of course. 1960, and, and we way, knew Kennedy won a close election before midnight. I mean, you're going to tell me in the year 2020 
they're make they're conditioning us that we may have to accept that it's two or four weeks. Come on. Yeah. This, and and the other thing is, Harry, um, oversight. That takes the complete oversight by by civilians, which is which is key. Poll watchers are key to keeping the system fair. Well, President Carter travels the globe being a poll watcher for the exact reason that you need civilian eyes on government to make sure that the system is not corrupt. Yet in America, you're now making it totally um, uh, insulated by not allowing uh, civilian eyes to watch government in the most critical uh, part of citizenship, the, the most critical right of a citizen is that their right to vote and their right to influence and change government. Brad, I want to thank you for a nice visit on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Until we meet again, my friend. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. When we come back, it is your turn to play again on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Phone lines are open on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. With Allison, Eric, and Pete filling in for Brian today who earns a well-deserved day off. I am Harry Hurley on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Eric, and Pete. My name is Harry. Filling in today for Brian, who's earned a well-deserved day off. To the Brian Kilmeade phone lines we go at 866-408-7669. Dale is listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show in Fairborn, Ohio. Listening on WHIO. Dale, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, I just wanted to address the vote in by mail that they're trying to get us to do to make it mandatory. I don't understand why we can't use like the football stadiums and concert halls and stuff like that that are not being utilized for anything presently because that would allow for their social distancing and stuff and still get the uh, vote in person covered. And they've got four months to get get the, the areas prepared. Let me give you my quick take, and then you'll get the last word on this uh, as we head to the top of the hour. Dale, it's as simple as this, and I, I know I could be given some pushback on this, but I believe it with, with my entire uh, mind, body, and soul. Democrats are exploiting the coronavirus, COVID-19. It is true. It is real. It is serious, and, and I'm serious about it. But at the same time, Democrats do not let any type of crisis go unwasted. It's in their playbook. So, sure, you can go to a big box store, you can go all kinds of different places, but you can't go and vote. Of course, you could social distance at at a polling place. You could spread it out. They don't want to. They want this vote by mail for obvious reasons. Dale, thanks. I told you to get the last word, but we're to the top of the hour, and I hope that we get the opportunity to meet again someday. Thanks for a great point. You You knew the answer before you posed the question. We'll be back in just a little bit. Don't go away. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, a couple of words, and you know it's not Brian. Brian has taken a rare day off, well-deserved, as you know. Brian Kilmeade is one of the absolute hardest-working and most important voices in America today. That's in radio, television, and yes, also in print, where Brian has numerous bestsellers. BrianKilmeade.com, uh, always a great opportunity to pick up and, and buy one of Brian's books, which he's happy to uh, personally autograph for you. My name is Harry Hurley. I'm from Townsquare Media's WPG, stands for World's Playground, which is long, long ago, the nickname of Atlantic City. We're on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. 29 years ago, I left President Donald Trump's employee to begin a career as a radio talk show host, and I've been so blessed to be a part of the spoken word format ever since. My thanks to Brian for his trust and that of his great team, senior producer Allison and Eric and Pete. We have a great program in store for you today. And congratulations to Brian for landing the number five ranking in the Talkers Magazine, what is nicknamed the Heavy Hundred. That is the list that comes out every year. Uh, and I don't care what anybody says. If you're a talk radio host, you want to be on this list. And there's, all, there's thousands and thousands of people who are a part of the spoken word format and only 100 slots the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America, and Brian Kilmeade is now number five. He has moved up every single year. He's made big moves, and now he's uh, in such rarefied air that he needs oxygen, and there's almost nowhere to go. He's at the zenith. He's at the top of the list, basically, and it's an honor to be here. It's my pleasure to welcome a very important voice in America because there is so much blatant intellectual dishonesty that's going on. We talked about bizarro world. Up is down. In is out. Uh, violent criminals are being called peaceful protesters. We have the insanity of Chaz, Chop, the, the summer of love. We have what's going on in Portland, Oregon that we're going to be talking about with uh, Dr. Porcher in just a moment. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show Dr. Darren Porcher, a former New York City Police Department. And I want you to know, Dr. Porcher, I'm the identical twin brother of a career retired police officer, it must bring tears to your eyes to watch what Mayor de Blasio has done in New York City with the police department. It's it's inexcusable. It's reprehensible for a director of public safety as a mayor to play it the way he's been playing it. And let me also thank you for your service in our United States Army as a veteran of the Army. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, Dr. Darren Porcher. Dr. Porcher, welcome. Harry, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is a great opportunity. I appreciate you, and uh, I like your work. I like your work a whole lot. You're not afraid to tell it like it is in a, in a world that's currently living it like it isn't. Let's start, for example, in Portland with the current violence that, that our leading Democrats are calling peaceful protests. And you have this, this mayor, Ted Wheeler, that wants the president out, that wants the, the, our federal law enforcement out as though they're the problem uh eric let's set this up for dr porcher cut number five do you think the uh, trump administration is breaking the law in your city i absolutely do uh the tactics that the trump administration are using on the streets of portland are abhorrent people are being literally scooped off the street into unmarked vans rental cars apparently uh they are 
being denied probable cause and they're denied due process. They don't even know who's pulling them into the vans. The people aren't identifying themselves. And as far as I can see, this is completely unconstitutional. Do you believe this honestly in any other time? I know I'm not uh, immune to the fact that in less than three and a half months, we, we have a national election and that the other side is pulling out all the stops on this. I've never seen such a bizarro world, blatant politicization of law enforcement, the likes of which we are seeing. So we're, if we listen to Ted Wheeler, Dr. Darren Porcher on The Brian Kilmeade Show, if we listen to him, our federal law enforcement officers are the bad guys. They're scooping people up. But what are they putting them in like tinfoil rooms? I mean, do you find this as incredulous as I do? Well, I think that the mayor of Portland is introducing a series of hyperbole statements that are clearly not accurate. This is rhetoric at best. Um, One of the issues here, and no one is really bringing to the forefront the fact that President Trump is at the head of the executive branch of government. The, The executive branch of government is tasked with enforcing laws. So when we take in consideration the destruction of federal courthouses and federal monuments in Portland, nothing is getting done. The only reason why the president is buying into a solution in Portland is because the local police department has refused to protect federal property. So as a result, it's it's necessary for it to be shouldered by the president to present a level of um, officers from DHS to preserve those entities. This is something that I want to give a contrasting comparison. When we look at the fall of Saigon back in the 70s, where we act, where we as a U.S. military exited, this is something that's similar that's occurring in democratic cities throughout the city. We definitely and desperately need federal law enforcement officials to assist in the violence that's plaguing that of Portland. And it's just so unfortunate that it's being resisted by the mayor of Portland. Hope there's a silent majority of citizens that live in Portland, Oregon, that want and desperately need law enforcement to assist them in the wake of the loss of public safety. Therefore, I congratulate and I salute President Donald Trump in advancing the agenda for fortifying and creating a more safe city as it relates to what's happening in Portland, Oregon. And of course, he gets called all kinds of names and get your troops out of here as though we're not one United States of America, as though they're not his troops. They're our troops. He's an American, darn it. Let me ask you this as a former New York City Police Department lieutenant. How dangerous, Dr. Darren Porcher, do you believe it is for police officers of today having to play under these rules not just because there's a camera everywhere. The, the law-abiding officers, actually, everyone I've ever talked to, they don't mind that because for them, that's exculpatory. They do right. So I'm not even speaking about it because they're on a camera or a microphone everywhere that they go. But when the highest levels, near highest levels of our government, for example, and you're aware of this comment, the Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency, said that peaceful protesters are the good guys, but they're not peaceful. We know that. Anybody being honest knows that. And then says that the federal law enforcement officers, that there needs to be a formal congressional investigation. In your estimation, Dr. Porcher on the Brian Kilmeade Show, how how do you feel about how much more difficult the job of police officer has now become? 
Well, just to go back to the initial um, comment as you made in connection with Nancy Pelosi, one of the statements that she's made is that these, I refer to them as rioters. I don't refer to them as demonstrators. There you go. The rioters are actually tearing up that area. They're spraying, they're spewing graffiti all over the place. They're creating a sense of anarchy. And one of the things that Nancy Pelosi has stated is they are merely introducing graffiti. And she totally discounted the fact of the riotous behavior that's creating a sense of anarchy in Portland, Oregon. So she's completely out of touch. So when we take in consideration the um, duties and responsibility of a police officer in the wake of the current climate, it's a very arduous task. It seems like you have people from the left that are diametrically opposing law enforcement, but no one is echoing the sentiments of the silent majority that has a, a sheer need for public safety. This is something that's since been plaguing our nation. So when we go back to what's happening in Portland, and then the recent eruption of violence that's being perpetuated in Seattle, which seems as if it's a reflection of what happened in the CHOP zone, it really sets forth a bad precedence for anyone that's looking to become a member of law enforcement, because you have both sides that are closing in on you, and you feel like you're by yourself. But I just, I, I say to all of my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, just Take, um, just, just, just give it some time. This, this will pass because what's happening now. Just recently, a poll that went out, and the gross majority of citizens are in favor of law enforcement, or I should say, public safety, so to speak. This is more hyperbole that's being generated by a small group of agitators, which is not the echoing sentiment of the American population. It's just going to be one of these things where, as we experience peaks and valleys in law enforcement officers, it's just a matter of time before the public coalesces behind law enforcement and they're going to be back in a place of ingratiation. It's a very, very fair point. We're visiting on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Dr. Darren Porcher, former New York City Police Department lieutenant and a distinguished United States Army veteran. Uh, Let me stay on this topic and then I want to switch to the recent Fox News poll that came out just over the weekend. Uh, Eric, cut number eight. This is no longer about George Floyd. This is no longer about racial equity or social justice. This is no longer about reform or the evolution of policing. This is about violence, rioting, destruction. Our city is under siege by rioters. Our elected officials have condoned the destruction and chaos of our city. They have placed their political agendas ahead of the safety of all of us and the welfare of the community. This must stop. I can't argue with that, can you? No, not even close. Um, That's the echoing sentiment of the public or the population. Um, The death of George Floyd was a horrific encounter. I think we've all been opposed to the tactics that have been used in that particular case. But now, how do we right the ship? How do we create a level of equality amongst citizens from the East Coast to the West Coast? And unfortunately, it's come to the point where we have to have law enforcement to advance agenda that can ensure that the population is being protected. And what what makes it so problematic is the elected officials are in opposition of police practitioners moving forth the agenda that's necessary to protect that population. So it's one of these things that we look at and we say to ourselves, this is preposterous. How can we have an elected official that advances this, this level of an agenda? Fortunately, in the White House, we have a commander in chief that understands the dynamic of public safety, and he's doing everything in his power to ensure that the population 
population is protected. 51 plus days, that population of Portland has been under siege mm. by rioters and demonstrators without any recourse by that lower, by, by the lower, by the local law enforcement. Now is the time for federal assistance to come into play. It's also been rejected by um, the mayor of Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot has, has stated her opposition to federal officers coming in to assist her. But as you see, as a result, she has failing, possi- uh, failing policies that have subsequently led to a meteorizing shootings. And the same is holding true here in New York City. That's true. It's happened everywhere that this whole whether you want to call it defund or redirect, I mean, it's just ridiculous uh, the way that the English language is being tortured. It's, it's one and the same. Call it what you will. But if you take money from the police and you put it somewhere else, you take, for example, and you know this all too well from your experience in New York, Darren, you know, as a police lieutenant, you take a billion dollars in year 2020 from the New York Police Department. You know the violence is going to be up sharply. You know the shootings are going to be up. And so there should be no surprise. And also, I'm so happy that we get a chance to regale over this one point for Mayor de Blasio to say the other day that basically we've let all the prisoners out of jail and New York has never been safer. Is that not either delusional behavior? How could how could he possibly believe that with the numbers that and these are objective findings, the spike in all the violence and shootings and so on? How can anybody be serious and say that New York is safer than it's ever been? Uh, in a recent interview that I did with the former commissioner of the New York Police Department, Bernie Carrick, he said on Fox News Radio that that de Blasio has sent the police back in New York 30 years. I think he's right. I I, I can't agree with um, former Commissioner Carrick more. Mayor de Blasio is so aloof and disconnected to the theory of public safety in New York City. It just it begs the question of how could this level of incompetence effectively become elected to the largest city in the United States? Uh, one of the things that he mentioned is, as you as you stated, we we have the lowest level of an inmate population since World War II in New York City. However, at the same token, we, we we're experiencing record lows in crime. This is a preposterously ill-fated statement because it's not the case. Our shootings are going through the roof. Violent crime is upwards of four to six hundred percent. The communities are under siege and nothing is being done. So when we speak to defunding by a billion dollars, if there's not a time that we that the NYPD doesn't need resources, I don't know what it is. This is clearly a time where we need more enforcement on the ground. This is a state of emergency that we as New Yorkers are experiencing. We need to take the gloves off, get the boots on the ground, and eradicate this crime that is plaguing the the city of New York. De Blasio just doesn't get it. He's folding like a chair to the sentiment of riotous demonstrators and protesters that are moving forth an agenda that's diametrically opposed to that that the, the gross majority of New Yorkers are, yep. are a part of. Dr. Porcher, so as a result of that, I'm Dr. Porcher, I got to jump in. We've got to run for now. And next time we have a chance to visit, we'll talk about the polling data. But you know what? That's going to change so much. But this, what's going on right now, and to draw from your public safety experience I thought was more important. Thank you for appearing today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. We will be right back. It's your turn to play next. Back to your calls at 866-408-7669. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
a radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's true, he's so busy, he finally got to take a day off. Hardest working guy in in our business. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian with Allison, Eric, and Pete taking your phone calls. For the Brian Kilmeade Show at 866-408-7669. Roy is listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on the Fox News app. Very smart, Roy. Already points before you're even heard. Welcome, Roy, to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to say <clears throat> this naming of the bridge after John Lewis, I don't, I'm not really for that. This man was a racist. He also was the same one during the Hillary investigation, I believe it was, or the FBI or both, that he kept mentioning how much money this investigation is costing. So by that, he is not only a Democrat, but he is part of the resistance he's a communist party or whatever you want to call them well i would stop short of that here hey roy here's what i'm thinking about this number one that's politics the democrats cover for hillary republicans were going after vice versa democrats were after president trump after general flynn after this one after that one the other side takes the other thing the other side it's always politics you say you say that the late congressman lewis was a racist but clearly he was the victim of racism. This man was beaten, and I mean beaten bad, on Bloody Sunday. I think, I, look, his politics I totally disagree with. I disagree with him not attending either President Bush II or President Trump's inauguration. That's wrong. I, I don't agree with his voting record. I don't agree uh, with his um, extreme liberalism in terms of his philosophy of governance. But I do think after his record as a civil rights icon, and his victimization uh, as a victim of Bloody Sunday, that the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, should be renamed the John Lewis Bridge. And that comes from someone that disagrees with almost all of the late Congressman Lewis's politics. Uh, I just think we can separate the two and do the right thing. And I think it's going to happen. More of your phone calls coming up in just a few minutes. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show welcome back to the brian kilmeade show harry filling in today for brian a very well-earned day off with allison eric and pete this is the brian kilmeade show we're taking your phone calls in this segment at 866-408-7669 i know how much brian loves to hear from you his valued listeners 866-408-7669 to make you participants on the program. He, I know he loves doing that. Paul is listening uh, on WABC in New York from Rockland County, New York. 
Uh, Paul, we're going to get you on in just a moment, but let's you and I listen together to Cut 13, Eric, and then that will set things up for Paul's call. Schools have to open. Young people have to go to school. And there's problems when you don't go to school, too. And there's going to be a funding problem because we're not going to fund when they don't open their schools. We're not going to fund them. We're not going to give them money if they're not going to school, if they don't open. There you go. You know, the president of the United States, he says what he means. He means what he says. And he typically does what he says he's going to do. So you can imagine the lawsuits are probably already ready to be filed uh, if he holds back federal funding because of the inaction of school districts that do not send children back to school. Uh, Just a small little disclosure. I'm a former Board of Education member uh, and I have reverence for education and how important it is. And Allison and I talked before the program this morning, so many people out there, and it's not, it's, not a, it's not a slam, it's not a put down, people don't realize how important the earliest years of education, how, inf- how formative the early years are. And keep in mind, we've lost part of the third marking period of the last school year, the fourth marking period, and now what are we going to do? And I think we've lost nearly 40 and beyond percent of our students who either couldn't learn properly through distance learning, or in fact, maybe didn't have proper bandwidth or the equipment, we lost many students. So there's a big difference here, losing students for a few months or losing them for another school year. This is so important, ladies and gentlemen, parents, grandparents, citizens alike, understand when Brian passionately speaks about this on his program, how important it is for our children to return to school. Brian Kilmeade, is spot on regarding this point. So important. Paul, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade program. Hey, thanks a lot. I, I guess it comes down to who's going to pay the teachers. Um, if it's locally uh, paid, uh, I don't think they should be paid if they don't want to go to work. Um, uh, you know, and if they stay home, uh, they, they shouldn't get paid as much. Uh, you know, the cops, uh, the teachers go in, uh, not that, uh, not to, I mean, the cops and the nurses go in, or uh, they wouldn't get paid. And if they still refuse to go in, they'd probably get fired. So I think the teachers, um, you know, hey, if they Paul, stay home, Paul, Paul, let me see if, yes, if I can have a breakthrough. And maybe I will, maybe okay. I won't. And we can leave okay. friends even if we have a split decision. Teachers sure. teaching from remote learning is tougher right. than teaching in the classroom. When I tell you, not only are they not, the people that say, oh, they're working half the time or they're not working at all, they shouldn't get paid. There were, I promise you this is true. I know a lot of people won't believe it. But they're working harder and they're talking to students all the time outside of normal hours on these Zoom conferences and working on homework that maybe a student isn't picking up that they know for sure they would pick up if they would have them right in the classroom. I'm asking you to revisit this in terms of what really is going on versus the perception of what's going on. I don't right. I don't blame might, the perception might be true. Yeah, you're, you're right. Because you be sound more right than I do. But I promise you that I'm telling you the truth. I, I believe you, but the thing is, um, the, the nurses and the cops and the doctors are going in, and uh, you know uh, they're hands on and they're going in. And it's I think true, but but keep in mind though, if governors close the school down, or in fact they're not closing the school down, they're merely changing the um, the method of the, the teaching delivery system from in classroom instruction to the remote learning, that's not their fault. They're still teaching. They're still grading papers. They're still grading term, the term papers, tests, and it's harder for them. 
So I appreciate your view. I really do, Paul. And thanks for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We go to Fred in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Fred, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Thank you. Great show today. Thank hey, you, uh, I, I was on the coronavirus issue. It seems as though we're not uh, we're missing a component here, and that is we show the number of positive tests that come up, but we don't show the number of negative tests. Or, or in and, fact, how about all the people that are asymptomatic that never get tested? So well, the, that's, that's even more than just a negative test. We'll yeah, never that's know what that. I'm getting to. Yeah. We're, we're not breaking those things down, and that's essential because what's driving people's concern is this fear of, if I come up positive, uh, my wife came up positive, and she's doing fine. She's off the quarantine. I tested negative. Oh, we're God very bless. blessed. We're very happy. But the thing is, the, the showing the negative tests would be a control of the positive tests, and we would be able to get a statistical evaluation of the credibility of those tests. And Fred, let me, Fred let, let, me give you, let me give you one other thing to ponder. I don't believe the numbers. Like, I, I made it clear earlier on Brian's show, I believe that we have an issue here, and we do have a spike in probably 19 or more states. However, I don't trust the numbers, and I'll tell you why. I spend some time in Orlando, Florida. I'm a fan. I also am a fan of Fox 35. I think they do great work. I think they do great investigative work. They did an investigation on a COVID-19 death. It was someone that died in a fatal motorcycle crash. They were listed as a COVID-19 fatality. I think unlike the um, H1N1, uh, and you can call that a pandemic, we had over 60-some million Americans uh, catch the H1N1 swine flu and supposedly only like several tens of thousands died from it, but we had many more infections, but we didn't get on that every day. And every time somebody died of natural causes, they throw it in as a COVID-19 statistic. So I do agree with you, your large point here, that the numbers are more uh, weighted towards positive tests and COVID-19 deaths than they are towards negative results. And then, of course, the unprovable, which is whether or not someone had it and doesn't even know it. Look, Jack Nicholas and his wife, she didn't even know she had COVID-19. He barely had a sore throat and, and something for a couple of days. They're, they're super people because at 80 years old, uh, they could have easily had a much you know, tougher go of it. So, Fred, thanks for participating on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I uh, appreciate your call very, very much. Phone lines are open, 866-408-7669. We go to Aaron listening in Brooklyn, New York, over the blowtorch WABC. Aaron, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. I, I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, I, would, I would recommend uh, that the, um, the police go and uh, take a wild st- uh, wildcat strike action, which is also referred to as a uh, wildcat uh, strike and also referred to as an unofficial industrial action. Now, the legality, I'm not aware, but by having researched this, the legality of wildcat strikes uh, depends on the countries, and also they're not typically uh, criminal offenses. Now, uh, having hey, said Aaron, that... Aaron, Aaron yeah. hold on one second. When you say wildcat, it's very tricky because I know you're aware of this. I can just tell by your intellect. 
Every collective bargaining agreement that I've ever known for a police officer includes that you cannot strike. So if all of a sudden a lot of people call out, they call it blue flu, you called it the wildcat strike, it's really challenging because you can't organize anything like that because it's unlawful. When you protect the public, uh, you're kind of on the short end of the, the stick, especially with a horrible mayor like de Blasio who will cut your funding uh, and then say it's the safest that the city has ever been. So I, I don't support uh, police strikes because I don't want people to die and I don't want people to get hurt. And a police strike helps the bad guys who now know that the city is not being protected if it happens. There has to be another way you do it. And the way I think you do it is through a public information, public relations campaign where you show, you put a mirror to Bill de Blasio and say, look, this guy can get your son, your daughter, your wife, uh, your mom, your dad killed today because he cut our budget by a billion dollars. He cut the most decorated plainclothes unit possibly in the history of the country uh, and, and, and vaporized it into nothing. Uh, that is increasing the statistics. I say we win in the arena of ideas and not through dealing with something like this with an illegality. I don't think that's the way to go, Aaron. I don't agree. I don't agree. Can well, I good. Tell you so why? we have a split decision. But what, yeah. would you, what would you accomplish? We have to go in about 30 seconds. But what would you accomplish in a wildcat strike? Because you still would have to fund – let me finish. You'd still have to fund the 8 to 4 shift, the 4 to 12 shift, the 12 to 8 shift. You'd still have to have people on the street. You'd still have to have people. So you'd hold back some of your people. You wouldn't – you're not calling for zero police officers to report to work, are you? No. Okay then you're not going to accomplish anything. I'm going to tell you right now, I respect your view, but I think mine can bring you victory. Yours only feels good. It doesn't accomplish anything. Aaron, thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back. uh, When we come back, one of the best in her field, Laura Engel from Fox News, the Fox News national correspondent on this just unimaginable. I don't care what your vocation is. Can you imagine you're down in the basement of your home? And somebody in a FedEx uniform rings a doorbell and they shoot your son through his heart and they, they critically wound your husband. This is, this is everything that I don't want to see our country become. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Laura Engel. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with the great team, the Kilmeade team of Allison, Eric, and Pete. Brian has a well-deserved day off. We have one of the real professionals in her field, uh, and what a um, what a tough draw this assignment is. Just as a parent, all of us just imagine that your son answers the door. It doesn't matter, federal judge, if you were the, the, the florist, the cake baker. Your son answers the door and is shot through his heart, dead. Your husband is critically wounded. And joining us live from right near the home itself in North Brunswick, uh, the home of federal judge Esther Salas, losing her son 
and her husband, I understand, is not in good shape. Laura, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, sorry it's under these circumstances, but oh my goodness. Every parent's husband, wife, father, brother, sister, every worst nightmare you could ever imagine. Well, you summed it up there, and, and thank you for having me. We are right outside of the home of Esther Salas, as you mentioned, a U.S. District Court judge um, who unfortunately lost her son yesterday, 20 years old. Her son Daniel um, shot as he opened the door. Um, what we have heard is that it was a man, a person believed to be dressed in a FedEx uniform, and we've heard that the person got away on foot. I'm not sure if there was a FedEx delivery van or any kind of a van, uh, but from what we have heard from uh, police here and, and reports of police, we've got the uh, U.S. Marshals outside of the house right now uh, guarding the crime scene. And, you know, you hit it right there on the head. Like, you hear the headlines. You hear, you know, federal judge. Her husband was a criminal defense attorney. But what matters most is that this is a woman who has lost her son, her husband, critically injured. I just interviewed um, a neighbor right across the street, two doors down, um, who could, was just choking out tears. I mean, she, she just said, I just feel so bad. She's lived here for seven years. She wasn't great friends with them, but knew them, was friendly, saw them walking on the street. And she said, I'm a mother myself, and my heart just breaks for them. I mean, every single person listening can knows what it's like to get a knock at the door. You see the FedEx, you know, for us, and during quarantine, FedEx is exciting. If you get a delivery, you know, you go to the door, you see what you're getting, and, and this is what happened and unfolded here. It happened around 5 p.m. Uh, yesterday afternoon, and the scene is crawling with news media. We've got mm. uh, the FBI is here, state police, local police, and the U.S. Marshals trying to figure out there's no motive uh, that we know of yet. We don't know if somebody was after her husband, if it was after her, if it was random. We just don't know as of right now. The father in me doesn't want to push on, but of course, I want Brian's listeners to have as much information from you, Laura, as possible. If you're just joining our coverage, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Laura Engel, the Fox News national correspondent on this just almost unimaginable. I, I, I just, is this what our country has become, Laura, where a federal judge is in her basement, I understand, and the doorbell rings and somebody, as you say, Laura, in a FedEx uniform or at least shirt or something along the lines that look like a package delivery person is at the door. The young 21, 20-year-old son, Daniel, opens up the door. I understand, Laura, shot through his heart. Then I imagine the father uh, heard the noise, Mark, and then he comes and then he gets gravely wounded. Right. Yeah, there were conflicting reports uh, that we have. It seems as though now we do have it ironed out that it was the son, Daniel, who answered the door. Original reports had that the father opened the door and the son came down to see what was going on. But it sounds like, and it would make sense, right, that Daniel was the one who was critically injured because he's the one that opened the door. This is a 20-year-old who was a student at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. He was pursuing a career in law uh, following the lead of his parents, and he was the couple's only child. You mentioned the husband, Mark Andrel. He is a criminal defense attorney. He's also a former Essex County, New Jersey prosecutor. Uh, the last update we have, he's in critical but stable condition. We understand that he was shot in the abdomen uh, possibly several times. Um, and a little background, too, on the judge. Judge South is a United States district judge for the District of New Jersey. She was appointed by President Obama and confirmed by the Senate in 2011. She is the first Latina to serve as a federal judge in New Jersey. And what's interesting here, you know, when you go to motive and you just try, you know, the first thing anybody does is look and see what kind of cases has she been overseeing. She's overseen several high-profile cases in her position, uh, including drug trafficking trials involving some pretty serious gang activity, the 
the fraud convictions of former Real Housewives of New Jersey stars Joe and Teresa Judice, who were both sent to prison. And then just days ago, Judge Salas was appointed to preside over a class action lawsuit brought by investors against Deutsche Bank, who claimed that the bank failed to flag questionable transactions made by Jeffrey Epstein. So she's she's got a long roster of, of things that she has overseen that people are looking into. And, of course, people digging into the cases that her husband has been dealing with. And, um, you know, the saddest part of her son, you know, just, just beginning his career in college. Well-liked people here in the neighborhood talked about how lovely the family was when there were snowstorms. Uh, that This family would cook and get food delivered to the neighbors who were stuck with the snow in their driveway. And uh, it was Daniel, the 20-year-old, that would go around with his friends and deliver the food um, because his mother had asked him to do so and he was happy to do it. An athlete, um, a star student, just a devastating. A hey, Laura, Laura we have 30 seconds before a hard break. Laura Engel, Fox News National Correspondent. Is there any information about any witnesses seeing the shooter run from the home? Any ID? Any idea of um, the person's identity? 30 seconds. We don't know. There's one neighbor across the street who heard the gunshot, saw the FedEx person, saw an ambulance. Again, we don't know which direction they went. We're looking around to see who has cameras in front of their uh, doors, and we're trying to talk to those neighbors, and we'll bring it to you when we get it. Laura, thank you for the time on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Stay safe. Stay well. Thank Thank you. Wow. Uh, I meant what I said. Every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, Just on a personal note, today is my son's birthday. And I can't imagine what Judge Salas is going through right now. Her husband in critical condition. Her son is gone. She's probably wondering, is it because of what I do? Did they come after my family and do this to my family because of me? Our thoughts and prayers are with Federal Judge Salas of New Jersey. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has earned a well-deserved day off. He takes his very rare event, as you know. Brian Kilmeade is one of the hardest working and most important voices in America in radio, television, also in print with numerous bestsellers. Go to briankilmeade.com and Brian will make a purchase there of one of his great bestsellers and he'll autograph it for you. My name is Harry Hurley. I am from Townsquare Media's WPG. That's uh, Atlantic City's uh, nickname, if you will, the world's playground, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM. And 29 years ago, I left the employee of President Donald Trump to begin a career in the spoken word format as a radio talk show host. And we've been blessed to be able to do it ever since. My thanks to Brian for his trust and that of his great team, senior producer Allison and Eric and Pete. And I want to congratulate my friend Brian Kilmeade for landing in the number five ranking in the Talkers Magazine Heavy 100. Anybody that is in this business of being a radio talk show host, and there are thousands and thousands and many more thousands doing this, this is the list you want to be on. This makes you one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America, and year in and year out, 
Brian is, of course, on the list, and he has moved up each and every year and now is at the very top. Uh, very few places to, uh, to move for Brian. He's at number five. Congratulations, my friend. And a reminder, BrianKilmead.com. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this man, in my estimation, has been a hero during coronavirus, the virus. He taught me that COVID-19 is the disease. I want you to know, Dr. Siegel, I, pl- I really study hard when I'm being uh, taught by great teachers like you. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor and also a practicing internist, joins the, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Siegel, welcome back, sir. Harry, I'm happy to give you the cliff notes anytime. Yeah, you've, you've done me well, sir. I've learned a lot from you uh, that I never thought I'd have to learn over the past, I guess, going on five months now. Here's my concern. The last time you and I visited, things were looking really good. Everybody had lowered the curve. States were reopening. Indoor dining was taking place again. Even in many states, gyms were opening again, which has been the big uh, to-do that you can't open gyms and all this. And all these things were happening until all of a sudden, in many states, they weren't, and people are pulling back now. In your estimation, Dr. Siegel, on The Brian Kilmeade Show, tell your listeners, what is the current state of the coronavirus, COVID-19, in your professional opinion? Harry, this is complicated. What's happening is in hotspots around the country, and they're multiple, and we're even seeing some increased spread to neighboring states of the hotspots I'm about to mention. I mean, we're talking Texas, Arizona, California, and Florida, but the neighboring states are having some issues, too. States like Georgia, states like Utah, Colorado, states like, uh, you know, Oregon and Nevada. I could go on and on, but states that are neighboring the hotspots are having issues, too. And I think that the issue that's, that's really been in play here is that people have gone from strict compliance in many cases to no compliance, as though, okay, coast is clear, ropes are off, go out and do what you used to do. And some of that is due to the psychological barbarism of being locked down. So this, I have two concerns. One is, did we carefully consider what lockdowns meant across yep. the board? Yep. And now, as we're reopening them, are we carefully considering what shouldn't be open? Now, Brian, uh, who's also a hero of mine, tweeted out, Recently, over the past day, his concern that that closing down gyms is a major problem for the economy. I think that that has to be taken into account. But I also would say bars, for example, Harry, are something that should never have been reopened. I don't know that the phases were carefully thought of enough, because when you reopen an indoor establishment where there's smoke, where there's poor ventilation, where people spend hours face-to-face, cheek-to-jowl, shouting at each other, having drinks. They can't, you can't have a drink with a mask on, right? So though, a, a bar is a perfect setup for spread, not like in an area dish. where there's no virus, but yeah, in, in an area dish. where there's virus. Exactly. Dr. Mark Siegel is our guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Doctor, is it also true that I'm not calling this a second wave because I've learned from you it's not a second wave, and I hope we don't get a second wave uh, in the fall, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait to see. But as of right now, aren't the numbers skewing much younger than before when it was older people that had maybe comorbidities and maybe just older to begin with or whatever the case would be that would make them more susceptible, asthma and different things. Is this skewing much younger now? In other words, are younger people just pretty much like spring break or something going wild right now? Well, A, A, that's correct. B, that means that the death rate is going to stay much lower than it was. I'm positive of that. 
But C, it puts at risk people that are in contact with younger people. And there was an interesting study out of South Korea that just came out over the past day of, of I think, 50,000 people that showed that kids at home in households can, can be spreaders. Note I said in ca- households, because studies of schools have not shown easy spread. So I, I think the point might be here, oh, where, are you, where are your kids? Are they in bars or are they in schools? They can't be there simultaneously in both. So I'm interested in getting our kids back to school, getting them out of the household, getting adults back to work, knowing that, that, that in fact, kids can spread it. Kids, kids probably spread it a heck of a lot less than adults, but they can spread it. Dr. Siegel, in terms of the millions and millions of protesters around the entire country, I, don't, I haven't heard anybody really try to quantify what impact the protests had. I, I know there's a political component as to why, but just us speaking about it intellectually, honestly, it would seem to me, I saw the video, so did you, sometimes they wore masks, many times they did not. They did not practice social distancing, they were screaming, all the things you're talking about that happened in bars. Was the, was the protesting that was going on the true super spreader? I think there's no question about the fact that it played a major role. They did a small study out of Minneapolis that didn't show sp- spread among the protesters, but that's, that's just a very tiny study, and the reality is we didn't even ask the question in a lot of areas, who were you in contact with, did you go to a protest? It kind of seemed to, to our government in, in several states that that wasn't a fair question to ask. Me, from a public health point of view, it's an extremely important question to ask. So, Harry, we don't have that contract contact tracing information about protests. But yes, you're less likely to spread this out of doors. Yes, that's true. Much more likely to spread it indoors. But for sure, with all of those millions of people protesting, especially in the hot spots, there had to have been some spread. Dr. Siegel, also, we've watched, and you predicted this a long time ago, you said watch as the mortality rate continues to drop, as we test more people and so on and so forth. Can we add into that equation for your comment, Dr. Siegel, on the Brian Kilmeade show, insofar as there are so many people, and there could be millions, we don't know. It's, it's certainly thousands and many thousands of people who are asymptomatic, never knew they had it, will never know they had it maybe, but they're not factored in. If we knew about them, then the death rate would even be far lower, wouldn't it? Yeah, Harry, and I was troubled by that question, uh, that back and forth. I thought that that was a very tough and interesting interview yesterday between Chris Wallace and the president. But one part where I thought was a little bit derailed or tangential was exactly what you just said. We don't know the death rate in the United States, and we don't know it anywhere, because even as we increase the, the amount of testing we're doing, which is driving the death rate down because the rate of people that die, the more people you know that have mild cases, is going to go down. I think it's a lot lower. I've thought that from the beginning. It's a lot lower than we're saying anywhere because we're not testing and getting every single case, especially the asymptomatic cases. It's many-fold lower. And that was something that didn't come up during the interview yesterday, which is why I thought that particular question-answer round was a little unfair. Dr. Siegel, and we know at the end of the day exactly how many people, or to the extent that we can, we're only as good as the numbers that are reported. And when I see out of Fox uh, 35 out of Orlando that a motorcyclist died in a, in a motorcycle crash and they put the motorcyclist down as a COVID-19 death, that does not inspire confidence. I hope that's an outlier and not more of 
padding the numbers uh, for reasons that I don't even want to get into because some people do get paid by having more numbers, uh, and that's something I don't even want to address. But in terms of something that, that Brian Kilmeade uh, is really on top of, I think he's absolutely right about this. And let's get your take, Dr. Siegel. That is children returning to school. Some schools, as you know, start earlier, August and whatnot. Uh, down in our neck of the woods, as you know, we start in September, early September after Labor Day. The kids lost part of the third marking period. They lost the fourth marking period. We've lost a very significant portion of some students that could not handle the remote learning. They need that teacher instruction right there in the classroom, the discipline of it, the teacher instruction, and they just, some do great. Thank God. I, I know some folks that their children did great with the remote learning, but some did terrible and actually just fell off the map. Some didn't have proper uh, equipment, Chromebooks or bandwidth to be able to even be a part of it, and we lost them. We can't lose them for another year. Are you in agreement or in disagreement that we have to send the kids back to school? Well, first of all, I think the kids, the default, I call it the default. Our default here has to be sending kids back to school. I think all of this planning about not doing that is very, very dangerous. I think we have to assume they're going back to school, and then we need to control the hot spots better than we're doing. So I always say open the schools, close the bars. I'm all for looking at where the spread is really occurring, what areas, and getting those damped down. It would be beyond ridiculous to close schools in areas where there's not even any COVID-19. And, and if we're going to close it, if we're going to close them in areas where there are hot spots, big hot spots, I think we can do better than that by getting the, the hot spots under control. I also think we can use schools as a teaching situation. I don't think this online learning is going to work very well or has worked very well for our very young I think we can teach public health in schools. That could become course number one. You know, course number one, public health. Course number two, mathematics. Let's, let's make this important. Let's teach physical distancing at schools as best we can. Let's not assume that kids are going to do what they've done before. Maybe they, they can learn a different way. Maybe we can even emphasize mask wearing at schools. Maybe our teachers can be tested repeatedly. Doctors, by the way, are on the front lines. I'm back in the office seeing patients. I wear, I wear protective equipment. I don't think teachers are the same as doctors, but I bet a lot of teachers miss, miss teaching. It's the Brian, they do. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Fox News medical c- contributor, Dr. Mark Siegel. We have about three minutes, and I think this would be a great opportunity with all of your expertise, and you have really covered this issue. I mean, you have all my respect for the job you've done for America on this topic. It's so important, your work, every single day. What do we do there's people obviously listening to Brian's program all over America. Some are in hotspots. Some are in areas where very few cases. What do we do to manage this going forward where the hotspots are and where they're not hotspots, making sure that we don't slip up and then become a hotspot? Well, you know, the, the point you made about testing is right. We need accuracy in testing. And I'm not, like you, I'm not looking for, you know, a red herring in terms of that motorcycle death. But, and, and I don't necessarily think that hospitals are deliberately doing anything to get more funding because they get more funding with COVID patients, but they also gum up the hospitals. I think we need a larger awareness of the situation. Let's fight for our cancer surgeries and our heart disease surgeries and our hernia surgeries by not gumming up our hospitals with COVID, even if they are mild cases. I think all of this is connected. I think going forward, the amount of testing we're doing is fine. I think we should increase it and do pool testing, find out whoever 
whoever has this thing, and stop panicking each other with draconian predictions that are either inaccurate or just pure guesswork. Let's focus on what the issue is. A, a virus that's mild symptoms for the most part, that is wildly contagious, that can cause severe illness in a small percentage of people. That, again, because of the need for, res for respiratory and infectious isolation, makes it impossible for a hospital to function. The more we lean on, let's close this and let's close that, the more we destroy the economy, the more we're going to cause depression, suicides, anxiety, joblessness, uh, and every other m mental and physical problem you can think of. Why isn't that being counted? I would count a suicide, Harry, as mm. a COVID death. There you go. I I'm telling you, this is why you have so much credibility. Your intellectual honesty on this topic is, is breathtaking to me. Final, comp final minute. In terms of people not getting colonoscopies, women not getting breast cancer screening, people with um, cardiac symptoms that don't want to go or couldn't go before, uh, how big a problem are we having right now for all these months without people getting the health care that they need? It's been a huge delay. Immuni add immunizing young children to the list, enormous delay in getting yeah. our vaccinations. We're going to end up with a measles outbreak next year because we didn't vaccinate our kids. But I think one of the messages we have to get out there is that this virus spreads a lot less on surfaces than we thought, and that hospitals can do, and offices can do a really good job decontaminating, that Clorox works, and that especially if you're not in a hot spot, there's no reason at all to not go to the hospital or to the doctor or to get your regular treatments. In New York, we're back to it. Now, New York has shown a dramatic recovery, but we're back to it. We're 90% at my medical center in terms of treatments, diagnosis, surgeries. That's what we have to work on around the country. We have to work on that or we're going to have a, a second enormous problem. Dr. Siegel, thank you for your service. You have really showed up for this pandemic. You have been a star. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Harry. Great to be on with you. My pleasure. You're great. Thanks thank you, sir. Appreciate the compliment. Uh, filling in today, my name is Harry Hurley with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Proud to tell you your calls are next at 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley with Allison, with Eric and Pete filling in today for Brian, who's earned a well-deserved day off. He takes very few, as you know. A reminder, briankilmead.com, and you go to his retail store, and all the great award-winning, best-selling books are there. Brian will personalize, autograph for you when you make a purchase at briankilmead.com. Brian, Allison, Eric, and Pete, thanks for the opportunity to work with you today. You are just incredible professionals in our industry. And now it is your turn to play. I know how much Brian loves to take your calls. He loves you not only 
to be listeners, but he loves you to be participants, to be able to to be heard, to have your say about the important issues of the day. And and uh, that's what Brian does every single day of the week. He doesn't mail it in. He does the work. 866-408-7669. Phone lines are open. This is a very special call on the Brian Kilmeade program, and I'll tell you why. I know a little bit about this business because I was a board member, and and I I don't want to sound off-putting, but I was a very good board member, and my superintendent would back me up on that. It takes over a year to even become a functioning board member if you do it right. I was very fortunate. And Melinda, I want you to be able to be heard on the Brian Kilmeade Show about your autistic child. Welcome, Melinda. Hi there. Hey, good morning, Mr. Harry, and happy Monday. Happy birthday to your son also, and praying Aww. for the federal judge's family as well. Oh, you're a good uh, listener I, in Lakeland, Florida. Thanks, Melinda. Uh, share share thoughts try. about your autistic child, because we only have about 30 seconds. I regret it, but go. Yes, sir. So um, I, me and my, my husband are very afraid of not sending back our autistic child to school. He's not able to learn from home, um, and all of that is kind of, he's getting back. He's going backwards instead of forwards. He's not learning. Um, we are essential workers, and he's been in summer camp, which is great. But again, that is, they're not teaching him anything. They're, they're Melinda, let me jump in. Alice and I, we talked about this. You are so on point about it. In the IEP, there's items, obviously, you can't do remote learning. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Brian has a well-deserved day off with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Honor to work with this great uh, uh, national caliber team. They're, they're, they're clearly the, the top echelon of our business, uh, and I can tell from sitting with them today. Melinda, I have to send you uh, just an airgram. And I know you're listening because you've listened to the whole program. You were so kind and commented about different parts of the program, proving you were around for every every hour of the program today. Melinda in Lakeland, Florida, I, you sound very sophisticated and savvy. So please just accept this as just information in case you didn't know. But you and your husband and your son, your autistic, beautiful child that you want back in the classroom – and that's where your child belongs, back in the classroom. Just remember, and I don't know if in Lakeland, Florida, they call it an IEP, but this is the contract between you, your husband, and your child. And in that contract, the school district is, is responsible to provide, if it's an extra teaching assistant, if it's one-on-one instruction, whatever is in that IEP, It doesn't say that in 2020, if in the third marking period in March, all of a sudden uh, there's a pandemic that you don't get made whole and that your child doesn't get made whole. You touched my heart today with just the quick time that you were on the air sharing your situation. So I hope your child is back in school. But if not, I would get a hold of the child study team chair. Your principal, superintendent, whatever you have to do, the Board of Education, whatever you have to do to make sure that if school 
goes back or does not go back, rather, that your child does not miss out on the valuable instruction that they need. And, and I hope, I hope, and I do feel, Melinda, that you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back to your calls at 866-408-7669. Deborah is listening on KIVA in New Mexico. Deborah, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. I'll just make a few comments and then I have a question. Um, Mostly, I think that uh, mayors and governors should be complicit if the crime right raises, if they're defunding the police. Secondarily, I think the money should follow the state and federal should follow the child, whether and we'll see this more parents will begin to homeschool and or send their kids to private or charter schools because the the, the AP here at APS or the public schools aren't doing what they should do. Now, I have four children and five grandchildren. I'll be honest with you. It'd be very difficult for me to send my child to school with a muzzle. I have a retail store, and some of the kids coming into my store as young as five and six years old, their parents have these really thick leather and and vinyl masks on them. That's pretty darn scary to me. For eight hours, that would be very difficult for me. The other thing is... Um, I I got my test results because I had to, to go back to work, and they were negative. Everybody needs to read those test results, which I'll share with you. But my question is, if we keep opening, and this is what I never hear from healthcare workers or from the government or all these uh, experts, they never say it's going away. They never say if we open, if it's not coming back. I will tell you, corona will not go away. We open, it rises. Just to hear the fact that it's there's a lot more people who are asymptomatic, it spreads, but most people get it mildly. That's what we're going to have to live with. What about herd immunity? All right, Deborah, let me let me comment now. Deborah, Deborah, thank you and I want to share that there was a lot to what you just said and I do think that maybe more people will believe um, what you just said than will believe what I'm about to say. Here's what I think about what you ended and it was a great it was a great point that you made Deborah but here's the story the common cold is a coronavirus there are many coronaviruses that's why this is covid-19 this isn't covid-1 there's never been now maybe this is the first and maybe you will be right but every single time remember the spanish flu i'm sure there were people who said oh this is going to be around forever we had the roaring 20s right after the spanish flu of 1918 We had no imaging that could be done to see if damage was done to the lungs. We had no therapies. We had no ventilators. And within two years, it was the roaring 20s. I almost promise you, Deborah, but I'm a layperson, not not a doctor. I don't play one on the Brian Kilmeade show. These things start out pandemic, and then they become endemic. And then guess what? Then it's like the flu. At some point, when we have more and more therapies, they're finding out now that certain steroids, if you, right when you start getting symptoms, this bad lung damage that happens can be thwarted. Now, look, just like with H1N1, thousands of Americans died. Millions got it. Thousands died. Tens of thousands die every year of the flu. The coronavirus, COVID-19, it may be around. Look, we don't have a cure to HIV 35, 40 years later. But we have incredible therapies. Magic Johnson is living a normal life and many other people that will live to normal uh, life expectancy. So I disagree with that we have to be afraid of this until the end of time as soon. And look, look at the numbers 
and, and how low the fraction of 1% in the 0.3, meaning 99.7% are not going to die. And I think if you count all the people that we never knew had it and you factored them in, it might get down to the level of the flu and we're not shutting down anything for the flu. So it's serious and we have to treat it with respect. But by the time we have a vaccine, which we may have to take twice a year, not just once a year, like the flu shot, we'll, we'll beat this. We're, we're Americans. We'll, we'll, we'll handle this. Anthony is listening on WRCN in Long Island. Anthony, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. Yeah, yep. thank you. Very interesting conversation. Thank you. I, I want to make uh, one observation that um, the wearing of masks and uh, the, uh, the uh, social distancing uh, this is a really unproven. It's really theoretical, okay, uh, and is not 100% seamless or completely effective in preventing anyone from getting the virus. Aren't you a smart Brian Kilmeade listener? Let me tell you about that. Everybody out there that's wearing masks, and you see these cloth things that people are putting on, my wife reminds me every single day, whenever you're telling your listeners, Harry, about masks, if you put a mask on and you can blow out a lighter that's lit or a match, that is not providing you. There is, I, I'm telling you, you are, Anthony, you are on it here. There is a false sense, and don't forget, and I know you don't, I can tell, Anthony. Don't anybody out there in Kill Me Land forget that, remember when we were told, don't wear a mask. It Actually, you'll make yourself sick, you'll adjust it all the time, and, and you shouldn't wear a mask. Remember that. Now, if you don't wear a mask, you're the worst person walking the planet you are right i'm not saying there's no place for masks but it is not the end-all be-all and why are we accepting things that that don't really protect from the aerosol spraying of the coronavirus it doesn't make sense to me anthony yes harry and i can give you uh some data uh not the data that fauci gives out but the data that's uh, relative to me in my personal experience I live in the suburbs in Suffolk County, and uh, we, uh, our area, is we have about 100 homes. We have about 350 people, kids, elderly. Uh, our kids have been playing from the very beginning, outside in the street, riding bikes, riding hovercrafts. None of them wear masks. None of them. Yep. Most people went to work. A lot of the people in my neighborhood are police, nurses, painters, electricians, uh, legal assistants, uh, immigration attorneys, they went to work. They traveled yeah. wherever they were traveling, and they came back. Anthony, i got to jump that, in. But- I want to talk to you all day and all night. I feel like uh, giving you my cell phone number so you can become my new friend. Uh, great call, great intellect. I've got to get this last call in, though, because Allison and I are going to do a segment to end the program. So we've got about a minute and a half. Jason is a teacher listening right now on WVGA. I know Georgia very, very well. And can't wait, Jason, to hear what you have to say. And I want you to know, if you didn't hear it earlier, I had your back because I know that it's much more difficult to teach remote learning than it is to have the children in your classroom. Jason, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep. And I can tell from your background, when you say IEP, I know they understand education a little bit. Oh, thank um, you. Look, it, it is so much more difficult in the the time-consuming part of the lesson planning of it is, is extremely more difficult in preparing uh, in order to reach them virtually. Uh, just your upfront 
uh, increased amount of information that you have to present to, to even have that ready to go. Not only that, but the increased necessity of technology and learning all of these new software programs uh, in order to create those lesson plans in a in a way that uh, you distribute information so that they can really grasp, comprehend, understand what you're saying. Hey, but Jason, let me ask you, what was it, Jason, what was it like for you, and your school starts a little bit earlier than our school does, but so I don't know if it you does. were already in the fourth quarter, you know, fourth marking period, but what was it like when all of a sudden uh, you had to go remote learning and you had you'd already had your lesson plans done and just like that, you changed the whole game? How tough was that? Oh, yeah. We had to spend we had to spend hours just uh, revamping everything to make it virtually virtually relevant, uh, where that they could interact with the material in, in a virtual way. And so that that took a while, a lot of departmental meetings and, and conferencing together to make sure that happens. But but secondly, uh, the major drop off from that, uh, and and most of our states are getting these waivers so that they don't have to take the the end of course exams. Not only that, but we're on a block schedule, which means these students started their class in January not in August of last year, which was when we normally start. So they've only had one full nine weeks of our class. That's it. Because of the block scheduling that yep. we're under, so they shift to new classes. And so these students barely got to our class, and then all of a sudden we had this major drop-off of participation. Yep. It didn't work. Hey, Jason, thank you for and listening I- to The Brian Kilmeade Show and for calling in. We can get in real quick, and I think this is a good way to cap it, and then I'll leave enough time for Allison and I to close out the program. Doug is listening on WABC uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, and I know you want to talk about this um, issue of whether police should strike. Now, of course, it's in their contract. They can't strike. Uh, Doug, uh, welcome to The uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. How you doing, Doug? Good. I think we need to pol- the police. Yeah, Epstein was actually a teaching people in North Jersey how to recruit uh, some of the girls. Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L on Google. And her WordPress, she says, pay attention to every word. Okay. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, the senior producer, you know her all very well. Allison will join us next on a topic that she has selected that we will end the program with right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry sitting in for Brian with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Now, I've enjoyed every aspect of this, the show prep with this great team of Allison, Eric, and Pete, everything that we've done today, your amazing participation on the Brian Kilmeade phone lines, but I would be lying if I didn't say I've been looking forward to closing out the program with our distinguished senior producer of the Brian Kilmeade Show, Allison Mansfield, who has picked this topic to end today's program. Madam Senior Producer, the time is yours. You are being far too kind to me, Harry, right now, just buttering me up because I've been out for a few months, right? Not at all. Um, so my question for you, what is your favorite type of ice cream, strawberry, vanilla, or chocolate? And this is going to sound crazy, but I, I kind of like vanilla fudge, so I'm like flipping your mind because it's not either of those three. But I would say out of the three, vanilla, I would want chocolate sauce on it, but I'll say vanilla. Excellent. So a new study, right? It's, of course, it's sponsored by Briars. 
Yes. But um, they found that what flavor you picked sort of helps predict your um, the age in which you fell in love. So fans of vanilla ice cream may not have found love until the age of 25, but at least they don't enjoy doing laundry, but they prefer to wash dishes. So does that is that you? I found love at 20. I've been married for 39 years. I know you're thinking he doesn't possibly look like he could be married for 39 years, uh, but I have been. And we got married when I was 21, Allison. We, wow. We have three amazing children. One, My son's birthday is today, by the way. Happy birthday to my amazing son, Rob. Uh, he's Harry Robert Hurley Jr., but he's always been called Rob. And so I found love at 20, married at 21, uh, I don't like doing laundry, and I don't like doing dishes. But do you like dogs, and do you tend to be an introvert? Uh, I was ver- very introverted until my position with President Trump uh, and my time as a casino executive made me have to become an extrovert, and, of course, my career in broadcasting. I was very introverted, and I tell that. I forget about that, but I was extremely quiet and introverted, yes. Interesting. This part I don't think is you. They said um, people who like vanilla also tend to be night owls, but given you are a morning show host, I'm guessing that is false. Uh, I would say false to that because for the past 28, 29 years, like Brian Kilmeade, I wake up at 2 a.m. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's far too early, but I understand with show prep. Full disclosure, though, I did see see the senior producer's text message last night at a little after 10 p.m., you did. I was impressed by that. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> those that do, like Brian, I know exactly what, what we get up at the same time. When you get up, but it's also a blessing, though, because when you start your day early in the morning, it is just incredible how productive you can be in those early morning hours. But then the rest of the world does expect you to still be up when they're up. That is true. However, you're done working, you still have the rest of your day, and everyone else is still working, so you can be productive in that point, this too. Is- and just to give you the rest of it, Harry, um, generally fans of vanilla ice cream, they found love at 24, whereas fans of chocolate didn't find it until 26. Ah, see? That's uh, some, something to be said for that. I, I don't know why, but I believe this for some reason. I think sometimes these quirky things that you would think would have no connection or carryover into anything. I mean, for example, someone listening right now to the Brian Kilmeade show is saying, well, what is vanilla chocolate or strawberry have to do with my my love life or when I fall in love or at what stage? It's kind of crazy, but these things just, they make sense in a, in a weird sort of way that there's something to it. Now, how about strawberry? So strawberry, you are the earliest to likely find love, and then you also like doing laundry, listening to jazz, and watching sci-fi movies. Now, there's an ice cream. Have you ever heard of it, Allison, in different parts of the country? It has a different name, but in the Northeast, it's referred to as Harlequin. Have you ever heard that before? No. Harlequin, uh, and this is another fun fact on the Kill Me Show, Harlequin is vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry in one container. I thought it's Neapolitan, no? It's, it's also called that, but also oh. Harlequin. It is Neapolitan. It's both. And it's probably it somewhere down south. It might be some other name that your listeners are saying right now. It's all about. 20 seconds, Allison, closing comment from you. Thank you for filling in today. You did a phenomenal job. <laughs> to you, to Brian, to Eric, to Pete, thank you for trusting me. I know that in this business it's a big it's a big trust. I know how hard Brian works on his brand. It's an honor to work with your team. Uh, until we meet again, uh, thanks for the honor of being with you. 
with Allison, with Eric and Pete. I'm Harry Hurley. Brian Kilmeade will be back in a couple of days. It's been an honor to be with you all today. Have a great rest of your day. And remember, briankilmeade.com. And remember to listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.